Welcome to this week's episode of The World According to Craig, where we welcome an MSW PhD candidate from UCLA, Vanessa Worry, who is actually a whole lot more than those titles and alphabet letters would have you believe. Thank you so much for joining. So we're going to talk a lot today about what it means to bring people to the table, which is my favorite concept. And you are one of my favorite people. You've inspired me from the first moment I met you. And more than just talking about uh, what it means to bring people to the table, I want people to meet you and, and understand you. And I know that they will love you as much as I do, which is that in a country where only a third of people even complete college, you are an ambitious, educated, intellectual woman uh, getting her MSW and PhD in what's the subject on this? Social welfare. Social welfare. Mm -hmm. But you were not always in an ivory tower. I don't think you're in an ivory tower now. Um, (laughs) You are a second generation Nigerian American and you were born here and, but didn't live a charmed life growing up. So the, the, what's the first thing that you would say that people need to know about wh- who Vanessa is when it comes to understanding who you are today and who you've been and how that plays a role? Yeah, I think that, you know, the most essential thing to know about me is that I'm, I'm a real person. <laughs> I, I, I um, have had challenges and struggles um, across my life. I... You know, as former foster youth, I was a youth runaway, um, been system involved, I was homeless. And, you know, if, if anyone was to think anything about my story, it was just a story of like overcoming, putting one foot in front of the other and really allowing my experiences to inform my journey to where I'm at right now and towards everything I still hope to be. I love that and I so we've had a lot of people on this podcast who talk about their journeys and they come from all different places. The thing that I realized about every single person I talk to is I don't like to interview people who and I've made a conscious choice not to so they haven't been on the show of people who have like 50 million followers because that's great but they have a platform they have a, a voice and it can sometimes be hard to relate to that when you're an everyday person. I'm an everyday person. You're an everyday person. Um, but you are more than an everyday person. I mean, you just unlocked. Um, foster system and a runaway youth uh, having been homeless and all of the struggles that go along with that. I see a lot of Lifetime movies about how the system fails. Um, And I read a lot of headlines about how the system fails. (laughs) Did the system fail? Oh, absolutely. And by a long shot, I, I think it was actually that system failure that was the catalyst for me getting into the work that I do. Um, you know, I, ran away from home as opposed to being removed from the home, which is, um, you know, an experience unto itself. But once I entered the foster care system, you know, I sort of took that as my opportunity to go absolutely wild. And I just, you know, shirked all responsibility. I was oppositional with authority. I was, I was free in my mind, but I was also 14 and really could have benefited from a lot more structure (laughs) than I had. Um, Same, same. When I was 14, I was like, I being, being an orphan, people were like, why were you in expulsion proceedings at every school you ever went to? I was like, what? I mean, it's not like I have a problem with authority figures. (laughs) I had a problem with authority figures. Yeah. Yeah. So that was definitely my experience. I had absolutely no guidance and you know i was i was extremely free-spirited and extremely independent which has served me well across my life it's it's given me an opportunity to sort of 
experience a wide variety of life. But at that moment, uh, what I really needed to do was to be held by the people whose job it was to make sure that I <laughs> made it to, to adulthood safely. You needed adults to be adults. I needed adults to be adults and I, and help guide me in something that sounded uh, more concrete than, well, we just need you to finish high school and apply to a four-year and get on-campus housing and you'll figure it out from there. To, what? That, that, <laughs> that didn't sound even remotely appealing to me. Um, you know, I had a very complicated relationship with education and with school. It was something that, uh, you know, my parents tried to drill in with drill into my head, but having a negative relationship with my parents also caused me to have a negative relationship with school. So I was like, what, that's it? No. And I, I dropped out. I got a job at 14 and, you know, was just sort of hustling internships. And, you know, I think that that's, <clears throat> you know, really, really what needed to be different. I think, I needed guidance. And so <laughs> when I emancipated and found myself homeless and on the street due to this lack of being held, I said, well, you know, there are going to be other people like me, undoubtedly, who will be entering the foster system immediately after I leave. What can I do to ensure that a future generation doesn't experience what I am experiencing? And that's how I got into the work. So you emancipated at what age? I was 19. Okay. So... What made you want to, what made you emancipate? Like, I, w I didn't even know that was an option at 19. <laughs> yeah. Well, typically, you know, emancipation does happen on or after your 18th birthday. Okay. You are legally an adult. And so that's sort of, you know, I, th I believe that things have since changed with the passing of um, AB 12, which was a piece of legislation I worked on back in 2010, which extended the age of foster care. Um, from 18 to about 21. Um, but that was, of course, a few years after I had left. Uh, so you're 18, you're legally an adult, you're responsible for yourself. You're so they just say adios. They say adios. I um, lucked out in a lot of ways and got to stay an additional year because I was blessed to have a placement that was, I think, unlike any placement at the time, unlike any of the horror stories that we sometimes hear about foster care and the foster care system where people are just using you for a check and they kick you out and folks bounce around with their garbage bags full of stuff from place to place. I was lucky in that I um, was able to stay at one placement from 15 up until um, my emancipation, which was unique. And so they, they sort of supported me in staying a little bit longer um, so that I was able to find a transitional housing program so that I can effectively leave the system and be on my own. Um, but then, so then you get internships and then how do you, how, I mean, this is a complex question. So it's a stupid question admittedly, but how do you end up homeless? Like, how does that happen? Yeah. Uh, it is something that happens at the intersection of a, of a bunch of things. So, you know, yeah, you don't wake up on a Wednesday and just suddenly be like, oops, like, <laughs> like it's a, yeah, it's a lot. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is absolutely a lot. So I, you know, in addition to not being guided properly by the people whose job it was by social workers and lawyers and, and even, even guidance counselors at agencies that were specifically for foster youth, you know, there was no emphasis in saving. There was no emphasis in professional development. Uh, there was no, there was no real talk. Uh, they spat the statistic at you and said, you know, one in three foster youth in San Francisco, which is where I, I was born and raised, um, will become homeless. But that's all they really ever told you. They didn't tell you how hard it is to get a job. They didn't tell you, you know, uh, 
that uh, that you should be getting a job where you know you can make two and a half times the rent or that most places require two and a half times the rent and a minimum no. wage with uh no was minimum wage even when I was where minimum wage was like six dollars yeah five dollars something like that back when I was like 525 yeah, yeah. yeah exactly so like the fact that you needed to make two and a half times the rent to rent anywhere, coupled with the fact that I was still on my rebellious streak, it wasn't real to me, right? right? Because nobody had helped make this impending experience real to me. I just wasn't paying attention. I wasn't following through with my program. I wasn't doing what I needed to do to even stay housed in my transitional program. I just was still this young, wild, free, caring person who, as far as I was concerned, was free from my parents' house and free from, you know, sort of the the, the expectations that went along with growing up in that household. Mm-hmm. And and I just completely failed. I, I think one day I, you know, called myself having a little boyfriend, Lord forgive me, and, <laughs> and just never went home, thought it was more important to go have fun, go be young, go be with him, and just never came back to my program, find myself exited from it, and that's wow. when things got real. I was like, well, no, this this is real now. I'm homeless. That is <laughs> traumatic. <laughs> um, and 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 there's a, a lot to be said for that. And then you have this revelation that this this shouldn't have happened. Was that was it a, like a, a light on or was it over the course of several months? Like where how did you how did you move forward out of that situation? Like, I don't even know. We talk about. Uh, it talks about the guests on the show about how they move forward. Like, and I'm always emphasizing what is the first concrete step because people talk about finding themselves. People talk about discovering their passions. People talk about failure. And my thing is we always talk about the journey as a whole. We always talk about the end result, but we never talk about the first concrete step. What was the first concrete step and the, the way on the way out of the, of the, of the, the pain and the failure and the, and the, the homelessness, like what, what was the first thing you did? Like, how, where do you even start to, to climb your way out? Uh-huh. I, in order to start climbing my way out, I had to hit my rock bottom. Okay. And, you know, so that was a situation where I was sitting for Lord knows how many days it had been in doing the exact same thing, hanging out with the exact same crew, wasting my days going by. Not achieving. in COVID because that's we all have yeah. been yeah. doing the exact same oh, thing. So that might be a uh-huh. yes. Just watching yet another day go by, doing absolutely nothing, uh, absolutely no resources at my disposal, hungry, can't buy food, you know, like thirsty, can't get anything to drink. Like, I just can't have access to sort of the freedoms to to, to self-determine and, and, and do whatever you want to <clears throat> do. And I, I think I was sick of it. And I think there was one night where I was truly homeless. Where, and, and I say truly homeless as in like outside on the streets, wandering all night from sundown to sunup because it's safer to wander awake than it is to fall asleep. Um, (laughs) Like I know pain and I know struggle, but I don't know that pain and I don't know that struggle. Like I know hunger pains. I know a lot of things that are in the same universe, but they are not in the same solar system as that. And I mean, it's that. Wow. Yeah, it sucked. It was, it was, it was really, really rough. And I think that that was sort of, my aha moment i have to do something different i have to engage with a program i have to find a job and i think that you know the universe has a funny way of working and and, and working to give you everything that you want when you're ready for it because as soon as i 
sort of came to terms with what I needed to do, I found an opportunity to get into a shelter, you know, and I was able to get a bed there. And then, you know, within several weeks of that, I was able to find an opportunity uh, through AmeriCorps, actually, uh, that connected me with working with emancipated foster youth or recently emancipated foster youth and connected me with that exact experience, that exact opportunity to work um, in that capacity. And so that's what I did. I did that for a year. And that's where I worked on, you know, AB 12, helping to extend the maximum age of foster care. That is an immediate pivot. I mean, you went from wandering the street to a year later, working to pass a bill that would prevent people. I mean, that is there are rapid turnarounds and then there then then you are like a rabbit on light speed at that point. Yeah, I, I think I had to really be open to messages from the universe. I mean, there's a, there's a deeply spiritual path that I walk on top of everything that I do. And so I, I think that even back then I was very aware of messages from the universe. Like I saw it as a sign. I was ready to make a change. I got an opportunity to be housed. I was ready to start working. I got an opportunity to advocate for people in my in a, in a position I had just got out of and wasn't too far ahead of. So I had a fresh perspective um, to offer. And when I got in there, I, I found that I I shined, and I was like, "Wow, this is is this my calling? You know, like is this my calling to be in spaces?" Um, of different communities that I hold identities with, advocating for their needs uh, based upon my lived experiences. And, and that's the work that I've been doing for the past decade. I mean, there's like mission driven and then there is, I mean, that is amazing. And I want people to understand that the, the work you're doing is to prevent other people from being in that, but it's not just limited to that, right? Like, and there is, a, a not insignificant, it's a substantial backlash in Los Angeles from people who with homes and businesses and apartments who are in public polling say that they're incredibly upset about the city's homeless efforts, not their, just their inability to get the homeless problem under control, but also the single-minded focus on that problem at what they feel is their expense. And that, that creates a very unhelpful situation where they're not at the table. When you when you talk to the public at large, or when you want to bring them to the table, what what is it that is is a, a needle mover to bring them to the table of understanding? Like, how do you get people to even understand that experience if they've got their homes, their apartments, their businesses, their jobs, and they're frustrated by homelessness? Mm -hmm. How do you bring people to the table? I think I think that the work there is just to remind them that we are all people, we're all human beings, we are all embedded within this society and, and social agents moving about, you know, to use my own example, like, you know, and thinking about the, the work that I do to try to, you know, shed light on issues that are disproportionately affecting um, trans black folks. It's like, well, so much has already been spent focusing on the negative, right? Highlighting this in in terms of our marginalization and our disproportionate rates of violence and murder, HIV, HIV and AIDS, but but never enough humanizing going on, right? And so I think that that is the goal, like to remind people that 
this person may not may not have the same level of resource or level of access that you do, but they are still people who are deserving of that, right? They are yeah. still people who deserve access to that, and 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 just sort of like shedding light on the commonalities that bind us all because it's more important to focus on what binds us. We can actually do more together than apart. Welcome to the world according to Craig, <laughs> which is actually the world according to other people who think the same thing. When people, when I say these things to the camera, what people don't know is that I've cribbed them from people like you who are smarter <laughs> and have got them. I am obsessed with common ground. I am obsessed with building out from common ground. I, I have said repeatedly, if we start by talking where we disagree, we will never come together. But if we start by where we agree, we will come together. Um, my question to you in that vein is, um, when somebody looks at the other, hmm. like, I don't know your experience. And so therefore I'm immediately distanced and it's not a, it's not an experience that I can relate to. How do you cross that bridge? So somebody might look at you and say, I am a suburban white housewife in Sherman Oaks with two kids. And I don't know what it's like to be a, a black trans homeless woman getting her PhD or any of the things that you've gone through. So why even bother? Mm -hmm. How do you what's the how do you bridge that gap? You know, uh, what I what I would say is, you know, I, I, I think you can relate to me a lot of ways. I mean, my, for, for one, my rent is due on the first as well. <laughs> <laughs> my bills pile up every 20 days. Uh, like everybody else, I worry about job security. I, you know, worry about having access. I, I, I worry about, um, will I be able to pay off my student loans <laughs> since, <laughs> since I, I'm in school? There, that right there alone, you know, is already a lot to shift the tide because you don't need to be able to, to connect to my blackness or my transness to connect to our common humanity. What I think is incredible about this vastly different approach is my rent is due on the first, my bills pile up, I worry about student loans, is that it meets the other person where they are instead of trying to bludgeon them over the head. Yeah. And my question is, is everybody doing it? Or are you the magical Santa Claus of, of building common ground? Because... <laughs> I would like to give you a forum and like a whole <laughs> boatload of grant money to like bring people together. Because if we could shift that conversation, if we can say, if we could just start by a forum on how we all feel when our bills are due mm -hmm. without mm -hmm. talking about your blackness or your transness or her whiteness or his suburbanness or whatever else, just the things we share in common. That is a different conversation. It's an absolutely different conversation. Um, you know, I will say a few things, you know, like I, I don't want to say that I'm the only person doing it, but I will say that I, I might be someone who has been uniquely positioned to have slightly better chance of having the access I need to say it. Um, you know, and I think also, yes, if we were able to have more conversations where we can just talk about these common ground factors, we could build the foundation needed to then go back and explore some of these more complex layers. Um, there is a deeply educational piece that is important, you know, uh, to then weave in 
threads understanding my blackness understanding my my transness and how those experiences with those 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 marginalized oppressions sort of impact what we can already share as common ground mm-hmm. my, my, my fear of will i pay the rent my, my bills mm-hmm. my but first we have to get to that common understanding before we can start building and and, and critiquing and problematizing and making it more complex i think that as you share this this rush um, to put ourselves out there and, and to sort of shock people, um, it's valid. It's definitely valid. I would never tell anybody whose approach not to do that or you're doing something wrong. I just wonder how we might make it more effective by building a solid foundation first and then diving into those conversations. Uh, that is a very politically correct way of responding on that, but it's true as well. It's almost like... We're saying let's be friends and let's 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 punt things separately. Uh, I was having a conversation with another guest on the show and we we're talking about how what's amazing about a sports stadium is that you can have a hundred thousand people in that sports stadium and they all have different stories and they uh, there are diehard QAnoners and there are Trump fans and there are Biden voters and there are Democratic Socialists of America all in that same stadium together. And when the when their team scores a touchdown they are all cheering and there is something to be said about that commonality because they started from a from a, a place that wasn't about where we disagree or what we need to understand they just started with like let's 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 be be together yeah. um so you know it, it was pie in the sky for people to say like let's all hands and be kumbaya but I actually kind of think there's something to that now because i used to think i was like that's pie in the sky but if you just don't discuss the issues and you just discuss what your experience is like, what my experience is like, which is basically what I'm doing on this podcast, <laughs> you get to know people mm-hmm. and knowing someone changes the game. Yeah. What would you say to somebody in that vein who's listening about what it means to just stop? Like how, how, what's the first step to getting, to, what's the first step to making friends? <laughs> I think, you know, um, now I'm thinking all of my facilitation skills and my set establishing ground rules. You know, I want to say, you know, assuming best intent and 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 trying to cultivate more empathy is always like a start, a starting point. You know, to to try to like truly put yourself in someone else's shoes for a moment. Um, you know, in order and 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 to employ this active listening that enables you to maybe not not think about your response or not think about how you do or do not connect, but just hear that person and allow that person to get it off their chest for whatever reason you think they might be uh, sharing what they're sharing or taking whatever position they're taking. Just try, just try to like be be open and give the same energy. Everyone is responsible for the energy that they put out. So try and give the same energy that you would like to receive a little more openly and with a little more empathy. Um, you know, we are all of us, all of those, you know, <coughs> both who currently find ourselves having resources and currently find ourselves without resources. We're all impacted by the social system that is constructed in the way it has and been set up in the way it has. And and it's only together that we're going to be able to approach that and critique that and 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 shape the trajectory of it. Um for me, I'm more of a future-focused person, so I'm always thinking about the future members of our society who are going to inherit this and what we are going to need to do, the, the sacrifices we're going to have to make, the you know pedestals we're going to have to come down on or the people we're going to have to elevate so that we can meet 
in the middle and create a more equitable, more fair society, safer society for the future members. Um, I mean, that's like 19 social policies in one. What drives me nuts about the world, and I'll take politics at large not to get into any policy, but we've got 74 million people over here who voted for one candidate, and we've got 81 million people over here who voted for the other candidate. And I hear both sides talking about the country that they want to build for their side. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what struck me in what you were just saying is that very thing, which is neither one is building, should be focused on building a country for their side. And I don't think the vast majority of both Democrats and Republicans, far right, far left, I don't think the vast majority of those people are focused on, on that concept. No. They're like, want to tear down the other side and try to win them over or throw them out. Yeah. That seems not a good idea. Absolutely <laughs> not. No, it, it's, it's, not, it's not. I mean, when you're talking about like, you know, right versus left and liberal versus conservative, I mean, I think that the, the thread is that we, we both, we just both want a sustainable world in the future that we can all enjoy, right? And so that, that should be, what the mission is i think sometimes we tend to and and as someone who always tends to live in the future uh and and loves envisioning the future i think that maybe i'm positioned to see this a little clearer but we, we tend to live in the moment a lot i feel like and all of these arguments is for all these arguments all these political debates these back and forth trying to construct our country according to one side or the other it, it's all for this um what can I inherit? What can I um, benefit from this now and immediately? And I, I think that that also too is something that we need to address. People want change now, and they <laughs> want to benefit from change now. And I definitely think that there are achievable things that can happen with quick turnarounds. But what might we achieve if we start to take a more long-term approach and a more, you know, chess not checkers approach? Right. to envisioning a world where, you know, I, I am full aware that the work that I am interested in doing, I may not reap the benefits of in my lifetime, but I know that somebody will. And I know somebody will take what I've what I have done and will have access to more because of it and will be able to build more with what I've left them. That's I, it's so important. This on both sides, people are focused of any debate. People are focused on now. And when you tell them, maybe not now, mm -hmm. there are a lot of people who will say, I've waited too long. Yeah. I've worked too hard. I need this for me. Mm -hmm. I don't know that there are a whole lot of people who say what you just said. So I hope, I hope that you inspire them. Yeah, hopefully. I mean, remember both, both sides, y'all have children and you have dreams for your children, you know? And, and so, so I, I, I get the passion that you put into this on both sides because you want to create a future not just for you but like you know for your families and for your next generations but but think about everything that we've experienced so far to date think about what you want to do differently and just i mean just try it right it's the one <laughs> thing it's the one thing we haven't tried if, if it doesn't work hey go back to what you've been doing but what have you got what have you got to lose where where are we where lose? we are now is not going anywhere fun <laughs> That I mean, that's a shift. People like to decry the the U.S. of the 50s and 60s. But for me, there are a lot of things that were wrong, and we've made a lot of progress since then. But for me, one of the things that we got right then was that there was a focus that was not entirely on the self. Yeah. It was a focus on the self's role 
within the larger the society, within the collective. Now, and sometimes at the at too much sacrifice of the self, and we don't want to swing that, but it's almost like we swung from this side of the pendulum to this side of the pendulum, and we threw out all the babies mm -hmm. and all the bathwater at mm -hmm. one point. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So we're going to fill up the bath again. We'll go put the babies back in the bathtub. Mm -hmm. yep. <laughs> in fact, the babies, because it's the kids <laughs> of the future. Yeah. It is the whole point. That's so good, and it wasn't even an intended pun. Mm -hmm. That was great, but oh. absolutely right. <laughs> um, so what's next for you? in this. So you're getting your PhD, mm -hmm. you're writing a thesis that you're going to defend on this topic. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> and then what, uh, besides constructing a world that will save us all from ourselves and, could, and help us focus on the future generations instead of our own selfish needs? Yeah, yeah. So so my, my future, my work, um, it really looks at bring at, like, what will it take to bring people together of all different experiences to have the conversations that need to be had. What conversations are those? Let's figure those out together. Let's order the agenda. And then, you know, what does it look like to collaboratively create and, and, and leave that open really to, you know, for me, I'm in the world of research. Well, what does it look like to create community-based research in something that is more than just participatory mm -hmm. um, and, and left to the academics to, mm -hmm. to disseminate in their ivory towers? What does it look like to bring academia down to the people? Oh, bless. Preach, preach. <laughs> I just talk about the people all the time. I talk about it all the time, much to the chagrin of my podcast producer. <laughs> I talk about the people all the time. I love it. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, but that's just one domain. You know, we talk about research and we talk about policy and we talk about civic engagement. We like all of these things. You know, the one thing we have not done is looked at how we might answer some of the recurring questions that have gone unanswered in our society by bringing in the people that we have left out about the active conversations happening about their own lives, mind you. Ugh. Right. Right. This is always about them, but somehow they're never at the table. I drives me nuts. We have all these civic organizations and not one of those people have, have, have people at the table. And at most, maybe they talk to 500, maybe they've mm -hmm. talked to a thousand, mm -hmm. but there are millions of people in the city. My whole thing is we hold like, we have a whole lot of like nimbyism. I actually don't think most people are focused on nimbyism. I think they are the people who show up have the time to show up. And I'm yeah. like, I am not interested in their opinion. I mean, they're lovely. Don't get me wrong, but they have shared their <laughs> uh -huh. opinion. Mm -hmm. I'm interested in the opinion of the single mother of two working two jobs yes. who does not have time to take out of the day. Yes. And I'm interested in the efforts that we put out there to meet her where she is rather than try to ask her to come to us. Absolutely. And you might find that you you get a lot more rich qualitative data to work with to address to answer some of these same questions that we keep banging our heads up against keep producing the same kind of data keep pushing the same kind of policies that don't actually impact the lives that we want them to in the ways we think they should so that is a lesson bring people to the table to have the conversation and make sure that the people you bring to the table are the people who are affected by the conversation, which is everybody. Everybody. <laughs> yeah. Make sure you bring everybody though, right? We sometimes <laughs> think everybody and, and it sometimes ends up being, you know, well, whoever can make it. And right. I like that you said, bring people to the table, but consider bringing the table to them. That 
That is the lesson. <laughs> Let's bring the table to the people instead of asking them to come to it themselves. Yeah. Well, that is amazing. This has been an incredible time. I am I am going to be the front row cheerleader to everything that you do. If there is not a Vanessa Wari fan club, I am going to start one. I'll be the president and the founder. Um, I will be there every step of the way. I am so grateful that you joined today to talk a little bit about what you do. I have a feeling I'm gonna have you back on about a dozen times. We're gonna start a, a spinoff. Yeah. And I wanna thank you for tuning in to The World According to Craig, where once again, it is a conversation with someone who is smarter, better, prettier, and just more insightful than I am. This is the world as I crib it from other people, and I am so grateful that you allow me to crib the insights and the intel that you've shared with us. And I am going to start building tiny little tables with cupcakes to, and taking them to people so we could sit down and just have a conversation. Just have a just start with a conversation. You'll be amazing. You'll be amazed at what what flows from there. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in to The World According to Craig, where you'll never find a celebrity because I believe that real people's stories are just as interesting and a lot more relatable. If you've got 10 million followers, that's awesome. Use that platform. I'm gonna give this one to the stories that I wanna hear and I think that are really incredible. 